Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death into life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he's given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Our text begins with the words, most assuredly. Most assuredly is also maybe translated in some of your versions as truly, truly, or verily, verily. This is something that is emphasized by our Lord as far as you can be absolutely sure that this is true. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon said, if Jesus says verily, verily, there is something coming to which we should attend with all our hearts. The subject, the subject which he thus introduces is our possession of eternal life and our being delivered from condemnation by faith in himself. Can anything be more important? He says many questions may be asked, but they can all afford to wait till we get the answer to that first inquiry. What must I do to be saved? What shall profit a man if he attains the whole world of knowledge and knows not the way of life? If he wins a world in this life, what will it avail him if he misses the life everlasting? It is, a very, it is very considerate on our Lord's part to call us with, great, with such great solemnity to think about our souls and eternal life. Let us attend to his appeal. And so Spurgeon says he begins with verily, verily, most assuredly, or truly, truly, let's give him our attention. Something is coming up that we must hear. So he begins, most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. He who hears my word. If you have an ear to hear the gospel and you believe, we're told here, that person has eternal life. It's not saying that we will have eternal life or we will have everlasting life. It says that the one who hears and believes has eternal life. You have it now. We have it now. James Montgomery Boyce, in looking at this particular section, refers to Romans eleven twenty nine, where he says, God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. He says, if God had given us 10 years of life, then that life could not be lost before the end of the 10 years. If he had given us 1,000 years life, then that life could not be lost before the end of the 1,000 years. In the same way, if he's given us eternal life, then that life is eternal. We can be certain that it will lead straight on to the moment of our own physical resurrection and beyond. 
Just amazing. If God had said, you have 10 years of life, absolute certainty, you got 10 years. You have 1,000 years of life, you know, without a doubt, you got 1,000 years. But if he says you have eternal life, you can be absolutely sure, sure and certain that you have eternal life. It will just keep going and keep going and keep going. Forever and ever, you'll be with him. We see here in this particular verse, he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. Shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. In, in the book of John, if you want to just turn a few chapters beyond to John chapter 10 and verse 24. We read a section of this in our call to worship, in our scripture reading this morning. John 10, 24. The Jews answered Jesus, or surrounded Jesus and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. And then they... Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. We read this text of our, of our Lord and, and, and what he says here. Going back to our, our text, you, you can stay there in, in John 10 for a second. But remember, he says here in, in John 5, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. He who hears my word, and we look and we think, there came this point in our lives where we heard him, didn't we? That point in your life in which God saved you. The point in your life in which maybe you were going through a difficult time. And maybe it was at that time that you heard the gospel being proclaimed. Maybe it was that you were at church and and you have come to church. You had been to church. But on a specific day, it was a time in which the Lord spoke to your heart in a way that was different than he had ever spoken to you before. It was reading about the conversion of A.W. Tozer. And, and he was just saying that he was walking upon the street and he heard, he saw this, this crowd of people and a man speaking. And he decided just to walk closer to the man on the corner of the street to see what it is that he was saying. Why were these people around? And as he was, as he was there... He said if the man, the man had a German accent that was strong and he was trying to discern what it was that the man was saying. But what he heard the man say was, was that if you want to be saved, you need to call out to God, God be merciful to me, a sinner. God be merciful to me, a sinner. And he said that he went home and he just sat there. He went to the attic and just found a quiet place. And it was there in which God just met him. The word of God. 
The word of God that went forward from that German man that stood on the corner of this street and just there going, saying, I'm going to go. Today I'm going to go. Today I'm going to go and I'm going to stand on the corner and I will just begin to preach. Street evangelists, just go there. I'm just going to go. I'm going to preach there on the corner. Crowds come around and this young man just comes. What's he saying? You want to be saved, call out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And the Lord, by the power of Christ, spoke to that man's heart on that day. Many of us can think of times in which it was, in which God specifically spoke to our hearts. The power of the voice of God. The power of the voice of God where he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. They hear me. It's not just about hearing a message. There's lots of people who could come to church and hear and hear and hear over and over again the gospel message. But there's a difference when the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart in such a way that your ears are opened and all of a sudden you see that you're a sinner. You see that you're in need of salvation. You see that you're in desperate need of Christ and the cross and the salvation that would come from him as a result of his work upon the cross. And Jesus in our particular, in our passage here this morning saying, most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. That's what happens. The power of God to save us through the proclamation of the word of God and Jesus specifically speaking to our hearts. Goes from there and says, they shall not come into judgment. They shall not come into judgment. The believer will not come into judgment because the judgment has already fallen upon our substitute, our Lord Jesus Christ. We read passages like this. You could know this. You could truly, truly, verily, verily know this. You hear him. You believe in him. You have everlasting life. Not only that, but you shall not come into judgment. Praise God for those words. I don't have to come into judgment. Never will there be that day in which God is looking upon me and looking at all of the sins that I committed over the course of my life. Where I'm there with all of that before me, just guilty with no way out. As a believer... One who hears the word and believes in him. As one who has been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, changed, clothed with robes of righteousness and your sins have been removed. You're never going to be the ones in which you're crying out for the rocks to fall on you. Like we're told that they will be doing. To hide them from the face of God. There's no judgment. In Romans 8.33 it says, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It's Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who, who is it that could condemn you? 
Who is it that could bring you into judgment? It's, it's Christ who died. You know, there's, there's times in which we have a tendency to look at ourselves and to see the weight of our sin and to, to come to a place of, I don't know that he can save me from this. Or I don't know that he'll forgive me of this sin. And the Holy Spirit would say to you, who is he who condemns? It's Christ who died and furthermore is risen. When you start looking at your life and you look at the sins in which you've committed and the guilt that comes upon you, and the tendency is to say, like, I don't know that I can be forgiven of that, picture the cross. Picture God sending his only begotten son. The creator of the universe becoming man there hanging upon a cross with nails driven through his hands and a nail driven through his feet and a crown of thorns upon his head and his face having been beaten and his beard having been plucked out and him being spit upon and whipped, hanging there with all of our sins being placed upon him. It's hard to picture that in our minds and think, well, that was good, but not good enough to forgive me of this sin. Not good enough to save me from my past. When we start looking at the cross, you start looking at it and God tells us, who is he who condemns? It's Christ who died. Think of who died. Think of who it is that died on the cross for you. How could you even think that it's not sufficient? How could you even think that there could be condemnation for us? It's Christ who died. To look and to, to have that weight taken off of us. I read in the paper just yesterday that there was a, a mother of three that had been convicted of murder um, 18 years ago, spent, spent 17 years in prison. And her conviction was based solely on one woman's testimony. And it turned out that that woman, June Patty, was a drug addict and a habitual liar. And she accused Susan Mellon of, you, you murdered that guy. This woman spent 17 years in prison. And Friday, a judge overturned her conviction and said, not only is she not guilty, but she is innocent. 17 years in prison. She, she said that she wrote on the bottom of her shoes, Freedom. Because she would just every day walk thinking, someday I'll be free. 17 years in prison. And to hear on Friday the judge say, you are now exonerated of the murder of that particular man. What a joy it must have been for her to hear that. You don't have to be in prison anymore. She said the first thing that she wanted to do was to get some food. But what she wanted to get was a Happy Meal from McDonald's. (laughs) And I read that I thought a Happy Meal, that's like the one of the last things in the world that I think that I would want to get. (laughs) But she said the reason she wanted a Happy Meal was because they came in and arrested her at McDonald's when she was there with her daughter. And she never got to finish the Happy Meal. She never got to eat it with her daughter. You look at that and you think the joy of... (laughs) 
I'm not convicted anymore. I'm not in jail anymore. I have a sentence of life without the possibility of parole. And now I'm free. I look and I just think the joy in which she must have had to hear the judge say that is nothing compared to the joy of us being before the creator of this universe who is holy and without sin and perfect. The one in whom is perfect light and whom there is no darkness at all. And to have Almighty God say, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There's none. What we had earned, what we deserved, was not 17 years of being behind bars. Not only that, but we were not innocent like this particular woman. We're guilty on all accounts. And yet to think that Almighty God says there is therefore now no condemnation. To hear the words in our text this morning, to hear God say, He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment. It will not happen. You will not come into judgment. But has passed, but has passed from death into life. Has passed. There's a change that has take, taken place. You are no longer dead in your sins and trespasses. We're talking here about a resurrection that occurs for the unbeliever. You hear it in the book of Ephesians, which says you were dead in your sins and trespasses, but he made you alive in Christ. We, we all were dead. We all were in a place of being dead spiritually, spiritually dead, unable to do anything to, to earn any kind of favor with God and to, and to hear in our text that it was God who spoke to us and we heard him and we believed in him and he gave us everlasting life and there's no way that we could ever come into judgment but we have passed from death into life and there is just this radical conversion that has taken place where we are born again. We are regenerated. We are changed. We're changed radically by this resurrection that's occurred by the power of Christ who has spoken specifically to us. He has made us alive. In verse 25 it says, most assuredly, or truly, truly, or verily, verily, again, listen to this for a moment. I say to you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. The time is coming, and now is, meaning this is something that takes place upon salvation in which you hear the voice of the Son of God. You hear the voice of Christ. And those who hear will live. A voice that comes in which we hear and there's regeneration that takes place and we are saved by God who specifically speaks to us. When you're wondering, how is it that I was saved? To be able to look and say, you were in sin. These are the things that you did, but this is what God has accomplished for us. My sheep, they hear my voice. They follow me. To be able to look and say, it was him. He called me. He called me. 
It's a joy for me to, to, to do evangelism in places like Africa where you can go and set up a stage and set up a sound system and you just have this multitude of hundreds or even thousands of people that are in front of you. And you're looking out at their faces and you see them and you don't know them, probably don't know anybody there, but to be able to proclaim the gospel with such confidence that God is able to reach some of their hearts. And he's willing to. That there's those that are there and they, their ears are open. They hear. There may have been seeds that had been planted along the way. But that moment in time in which it tells us here, they, the dead hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. And to think, God speaks like that. Such great confidence in our Savior. Um, Christ has an all-powerful, life-giving voice that penetrates the ears of those who who are spiritually dead in their sins. In verse 26, it goes on and says, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. The Father has life in himself, and Christ does as well. It's an internal attribute of God by which something that he has always possessed. You think of Adam in the garden and what took place. God breathed the breath of life in him. You read in John chapter 1 where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And without Him nothing was made that was made. And in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. In Christ and in the Father is life, is the ability to give life, to be able to breathe life into us. And to be able to think of our salvation, we who were dead in our sins and trespasses have been made alive in Christ. He has the ability to make us alive, to make us who were blinded with our sin, to have eyes that are open, we who had ears that could not hear, to be able to hear, we who had hearts that were hard. He tells us that he takes those hearts of stone and he makes them hearts of flesh. We serve a God who has the ability to do that, to be able to change us and to change us radically. goes from there in verse 27 it says and he's given him authority to execute judgment also because he is because he is the son of man he gives him the authority to execute judgment also he has the ability to give life the deity of Christ and he also has been given authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man God gave him authority to judge. He gave him the authority to come to earth and to judge. He gave him the authority to separate the sheep from the goats. He gave him the authority to to take some and say, enter into the joy of the Lord, and to take others and say, depart from me, I never knew you. He has the authority to execute judgment. In Daniel 12, 2, it says, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and to everlasting contempt. Some will go into a place of everlasting life and then some to shame and to everlasting contempt. 
It is Christ who has the authority to judge. We spoke about this two weeks ago where you'll have people who say, well, I believe in God. I, I, I believe in God. I, I just don't believe in Christ. I don't believe in Jesus. I believe in God, though. You'll have those that will say, this particular religion, they're, they're Christians too. They, they believe in God. All roads lead to heaven, at least to some degree. And, and we saw that that's not the case. We hear Jesus say, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he'll show him greater works than these that you may marvel. For the Father raises the dead and gives life to them. Even so the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one but has committed all judgment to the Son. That all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. If you don't honor the Son, you don't honor the Father. In fact, the Son is the one. God the Son is the one who will execute judgment. So for those who say, well, I believe in God, but I don't want anything to do with Christ. It is God the Son who will execute judgment. He's been given authority. John 5, 28, do not marvel at this. For the hour is coming in which all who hear in the graves will hear his voice. Do not marvel at this. Now he shifts to the second resurrection. All that have died, all that are in the graves, all that have died prior to Christ's return. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves, they will hear his voice. I was reading a commentary about that pointed out at the end of C.S. Lewis's book, The Last Battle. Aslan the lion is there, and he tells Peter and Edmund and Lucy that there has been a railroad accident, and they're all dead. You're all dead. And it says in that particular account of C.S. Lewis's book, and as he, Aslan, spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us... This is the end of all the stories. And we can come, we, and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever in which every chapter is better than the one before. You start thinking of our lives, and you look, and you say, like, our lives, it's just the cover page, and it's, like, the title page. You go through the entirety of your life. It's the, it's the cover page. It's the cover and the title page. It's just that very beginning. We haven't even started chapter one yet. Look at Pastor Bill, who will be leading us in communion in a few minutes. 93 years old. 93 years old. All of his sermons now have just, as of the last couple of weeks, been placed on Blue Letter Bible. So you can, you can go and go to Blue Letter Bible and look into that, that section of, of, of study and go down to, to sermons and then look at the first name that comes up, Acton, Bill. 
And go and listen. The first sermon comes from December of 1972. I was two months old. Those that were before that weren't recorded. Well, they are like in caves that have paintings and things like that. (laughs) But (laughs) just kidding, Pastor Bill. But you look and, and it's wonderful to be able to listen and to see. But now, 42 years later, 42 years of preaching, 93 years of age, and it's just, we're at the title page. Lord will give him however many days, years to go. Still just the title page. You enter into heaven and it's chapter one and every chapter gets better and better and better as we go on. Do not marvel at this for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, verse 29. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. All of us will hear his voice. Everybody will. They will hear his voice. Something that will occur when you're there in your grave and that body is there. Whether it be in a grave or whether it be spread across the ocean. There will be the hearing of the voice of the Son of Man, of Christ. We're told about it in other parts of Scripture. In 1 Thessalonians 4, in verse 16, it says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. There is going to be a shout. There'll be a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him or with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. You'll find here in this particular text, there's a resurrection that is going to occur in which those that are in the grave will hear his voice and they will meet him in the air. And from there, Paul says, as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, therefore comfort one another with these words. When we start looking at texts like the one before us, and we start looking at that, the fact that all who are in the graves will hear his voice and they'll come forth, it is to be something that is to be just a great comfort to us. There will be a shout, and there will be the voice of the archangel, and there will be the trumpet of God, and then those who have passed will rise will rise and meet him in the air. In Romans 2 and verse 5, it says, But in accordance with the hardness of your impenitent heart, you're treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also for the Greek, but glory and honor and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek. There is just this radical contrast. 
There's those who come forth and they come forth to the resurrection of life. You meet him. You just meet him in the air. And there's those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. We will all rise again, every last one of us. Every last one of us will hear the voice of God. The question is, is will it be a resurrection of life or to the resurrection of condemnation? That's what the Lord tells us here in John chapter 5. John goes on from there in the book of Revelation in chapter 20 where he says in verse 11, Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, and from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each according, each one according to his works. And then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is John being caught up and seeing the things that are going to happen and listening to it. It's just him saying, I saw this great white throne of judgment. I saw it. Two different people, kinds of people that were there. All of them heard, all of them had a resurrection. But some of them, the resurrection took place and they were cast into the lake of fire. In fact, anyone not found written in this book of life was cast into the the lake of fire. There's two different kinds of resurrections. You look here, and it, it, it tells us in our text, they come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Now, when we look at that, this is not a works theology. Christ is speaking here, and we know without any doubt as you look at the entirety of Scripture that you are saved not of works. You're saved by faith. You're saved by faith in the work of Christ upon the cross. That's how you're saved. But in Christ looking, why would he even bring up some who have done good to the resurrection of life and some who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation? The reason why is because he tells us so clearly you will know them by their fruits. A good tree will produce good fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. The reason why I would bring this up in a sermon like today is because I'm certain that in a congregation like this, there are those that would look and say, I'm okay, I'm all right, I'm good. I believe in God, I'm all right. And yet you look at their life and if they were to truly examine their life and say, is there good fruit? Is there fruit of the Spirit? Is, is there evidence of that fruit coming forth in my life? Lord willing, they would say no. But maybe they would look at their life and say, it's just filled with, with sin. There's no godly repentance. There's no change of direction. It's just Sin. A life that that would be described as those who have done evil. And to be able to look and say, God saved me. 
God, forgive me. God, help me to follow you. You tell me in the text, most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Lord, I want to believe in you and hope in you and trust in you and follow you all the days of my life. I want... I want to see the evidence of my salvation and the fruit that comes forward. I want, to, I want to hate my sin and I want to run from it. I want to go the opposite direction of my sin. Whether you have come to church your whole life or whether this is your first time here, it is possible to come to church your whole life and to still look at your life and see nothing but sin and the fruit of it being sin. To be able to look and to say, I'm going to be changed. I was reading from Kent Hughes, and he was talking about this, this boy that was himself that went to camp. He had grown up in the church. He had always been in the church. Some friends invited him to go to camp, and he went to camp. And upon going to camp, it was there that he heard the proclamation of the gospel, and he heard the Son of Man speak to his heart to show that even though he had gone to church his whole life, he still was not saved because he looked and he saw no fruit of the spirit in his life, and rather he just saw a man that, a boy that just went towards sin continually and didn't hate sin, just didn't desire to repent, always went towards the way of his flesh. And it was there in which God spoke to him and changed him. I pray that you're not confused. It is not, I am not saying that sinners are that. Christians are not sinners, or Christians are free from sin, or in the sense that we do not sin. We sin. All of us sin, don't we? Every believer here knows that they sin, but they also know that they hate the sin. They also know that they desire to run from their sin. They also know that they desire righteousness, and they love Christ, and they love grace, and they want to please Him. That's their desire in their life is to please Him, even though they say, the things I want to do, I don't do. Resurrection. I'll close with reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I encourage you to turn there with me. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 42. And we'll close with this. 1 Corinthians 15, 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, it's raised in power. It's sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last man, Adam, Christ, became a life-giving spirit. However, the, spirit, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven, and was... The man of, as was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So then this corruptible has 
So, so when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And so we close with that. We will all be changed. Every last one of us, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, will be changed. Your corruptible will put on incorruption. Death will be swallowed up in victory. And as a result of thinking about that on this day, thinking about the resurrection of our bodies, both spiritually being resurrected from being dead to being made alive to the second resurrection of your body, which is buried, being brought and made incorruptible in Christ. The Holy Spirit says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. This ought to be an incredible encouragement to us this day. You will be changed. Your corruptible body will be put into a place of incorruption. You will be made like him. You will hear his voice and you will rise. Some from the graves and then those which live will be caught up with him in the air. A powerful, powerful God we serve. The same one who has brought to you salvation by making you who were dead alive is the same one who will take your dead body and cause it to be radically changed, and forever you'll be him with him in heaven, starting chapter 1. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for the text before us this morning in John chapter 5. Just amazing, Lord, to think of this great salvation which you've saved us with. I pray, Lord, that we'd be encouraged, that it would make us be steadfast and make us want to abound in the works of the Lord, knowing that our labor is not in vain, that we would just serve you and serve you and serve you and serve you and love you and worship you and build each other up and encourage one another and proclaim the gospel and to constantly coming to you in prayer and fighting the fight that has been placed before us, putting on the full armor of God and just living for you and with all of our might living for you and running this race that's been set before us with our eyes fixed upon you and doing this, knowing that it's not in vain because we will spend eternity with you. We will be changed. We're going to encourage one another with that. You spoke to us and saved us and you will speak to us and bring us into heaven to start chapter 1. May that be just an incredible encouragement to us this morning. Praise you in Jesus' name.